Jesus told stories to teach people, and we get to do that as well. It's called testimony. We, we share people with people our stories, um, and I want to do that today, and it's one that's quite difficult for me, so if there are moments where I seem to be having difficulty, then just bear with me. Um, we'll get there in the end. Um, but yeah, I just, I really pray that I would be able to, to share everything that's um, on my heart about how God is good and how he goes with us through everything. Um, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would help me get the words out to say everything, to be accountable to what he has given to me to write down. And so let's just get started. So... Deep down, I am a people person. Um, some people that work with me may not realize that's the case um, because I'm also very results-orientated. I want to get things done, and sometimes that is a bit of a conflict, uh, that when people get in the way of you getting things done, uh, they really do feel like they are getting in the way. But deep down, once things are done, you want to make sure that you fix those relationships, that you make sure that you're building them, and when people are struggling, you want to be there for them, no matter what is going on. And I do try to get on with everyone. I try to be interested in what interests others. I try to be patient with them. I try to be helpful. But I learned a long time ago that some people just aren't going to like me. Some people aren't going to get on with me. And some people aren't going to like me for who I am and for what I believe. But in John's Gospel, Jesus tells us, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The thing is, no matter what people may think of what I think about identity or relationships or what life is about, the world has a bigger problem with Jesus and a big problem with God. And it almost always comes down to this. If God is so good, if he is so loving, if he is so powerful, if he can do anything, why doesn't he do something about all the suffering in the world? And more personally, maybe it's, why doesn't he do something about the suffering in my life? People have been asking the question for thousands of years, and we still don't have the answer to it. The best answer that we have is that we live in a broken world, a world that has been filled with suffering ever since Adam and Eve decided that what they wanted was to have their own way more than they wanted to be with God. And we believe that Jesus came to earth to endure all the suffering that separation from God has caused so that all people might have the chance one more to make God their dwelling place. We are blessed in this church that we are surrounded by people who have decided to make God their dwelling place. And there isn't a day that doesn't go by that I don't see Jesus reflected in you all, in how you welcome people, in how you encourage people, in how you provide for people, in how you believe in Jesus, in how you love Jesus dwells in you, and in this place, 
because you trust in him, who he is shines through you. Yet, at the same time, many of you have experienced all kinds of heart-wrenching suffering in your life. And I have to say that when I hear about it, the first thing I want to do is stand with you in it, to pray for you and with you. I want to enter into the suffering with you because I want to be a friend to you, because I know you and I love you. And that impulse, that reaction, is exactly what Jesus did in coming to earth. It's the best answer that we have, and the reason that it's the best answer and not the answer is this. It doesn't make the suffering go away. We do not know why things happen the way they do, but we do believe that God is sovereign over all things. We may not understand why things happen, but there are things that God allows to happen, things that we don't like, things that we find difficult, things that can be very painful. We believe that God works all things for good and we are not guaranteed a life free of suffering but we are promised that the suffering we experience for Jesus' sake is building for us a weight of eternal glory but that doesn't mean that we wish that it would pass from us or that we wouldn't have to go through it. Jesus said the same thing. Sarah and I have just moved into a new house which has been an experience filled with some really amazing highs. But it has also been a time that has been overshadowed by sadness. At the end of July, we found out that Sarah was pregnant. It was news that changed everything for us, especially when it came to the house. It wasn't just about moving to a new house so that we were prepared for starting a family. We actually were starting a family. As things progressed we started to realize that not everything was as it should be. And after coming back from holiday in August, Sarah started to experience bleeding, which got worse and worse until on the 2nd of September, Sarah miscarried. In these kinds of times, it's very easy to start to question whether you did something wrong. And I think Sarah and I have both had our dark moments when we wondered whether... It was something about what we did, whether physically or spiritually or whatever. But those moments haven't been um, enduring. They haven't stayed with us. And Sarah and I told people about our pregnancy very early on. And we did that because if something did go wrong, we wanted people to be able to pray for us, for our child, And when the bleeding began to get worse, we did ask people to pray. We asked our families. We asked our church leaders. And throughout it all, there wasn't a day that we weren't praying for Pip's protection and safe delivery. And even on his last few days on earth, when things really seemed bleak, Sarah and I didn't stop praying for him. We didn't give up hope. And not until the day that we were told that Sarah's womb was empty, did we stop praying for a miracle? There was a moment a few days before the miscarriage happened that I sat with Sarah, put my hand on her belly, and I spoke to our child and told him that he had parents that loved him very much 
that we were making ready a place for him to live. And that if he could just hold on, then we would do all that we could to make him safe. You hear testimonies about these times. There are women who have no warning at all, who feel like they didn't get a chance to do anything about what was happening to them. There are others whom, by the strength of God's word and praying in the name of Jesus, experience a miracle in their pregnancy. My testimony and Sarah's testimony is different. There were signs well before the miscarriage happened, and we did get the opportunity to pray, to ask others to pray. There are times when it feels like those prayers fell on deaf ears because we have no need of our nursery right now and we have suffered such a loss. But I know in my heart that God hears all prayers and I know that he heard these prayers and answered them in the manner that we prayed. Prayer is not a natural reflex. It is a supernatural one. And above all, it is a mystery. It is easy enough to see that when we pray without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, our prayers are flat and mechanical. We say what we think we should say. There's no heart in them. And in Romans 8.26, Paul says, We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we are in times of real need, God gives us the words to pray. And in these days, we prayed many prayers in those, uh, sorry, we prayed many prayers, prayers of protection, prayers of blessing, prayers of health, prayers of deliverance. But what our prayers had in common was that we echoed the words of Jesus in Gethsemane, not as I will but as you will. That moment that I put my hand on Sarah's belly and spoke to our child, I was entrusting my child's life to God. There was no greater intervention that Sarah and I could make. We could only continue to pray and trust in God, knowing that what he does is good, just, and true. I do not believe that God causes suffering to come into our lives. But I do believe that he has the power to intervene in the suffering that does come. But it is not always his will to do so. I believe that it was not God's will to intervene in our pregnancy at this time. Which isn't to mean that he won't do it another time. And I also believe that our prayers were answered He gave us the strength to trust in him at this difficult moment in our lives. To declare that he is good and to desire his will to reign over our lives. Throughout the pregnancy, Michael was a name that was really a favorite of ours. And I just want to read to you the last words that it says in Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. 
You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And it feels to me that that was a name that was giving us a message that, that this is not a sign that God means ill for us. It is a reminder to us that God is good through all situations. That in these situations, we must trust in the promises that he has given to us. However much Sarah and I may want children in our lives, in our home, it is more important for us to be obedient to God. And there isn't a thing in this world that we would want to have if it is not God's will for us to have it. That is why we prayed, not as I will, but as you will. Not because it's what you say when you ask God for something, but because we believe that being a Christian means that we put away our own hopes and dreams and put our hopes in Jesus because he is our provider, our friend, and our shepherd. Pip was about 10 weeks old when we lost him. And it makes it really difficult because we live in a world that considers an embryo of that age to be little more than a bundle of cells. Not yet alive. It's why many people in the world think that what we've lost is just the future we might have had. That, you know, we should just try again. The trouble is that Sarah and I believe that pregnancy is a gift from God. That it is a miracle. It is a masterpiece. Jeremiah tells us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. We believe that it was life that Sarah was carrying from the moment that she conceived. And we take comfort that God took no less care nor attention in how he formed Pip than how he formed us. God loves his creation. And it doesn't matter if we're here on earth for 10 days, 10 weeks, or 10 centuries All his creations are made in his likeness and all are loved by him. In Matthew 10, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And that's true for me, it's true for Sarah, and it's true for Pip as well. The consolation in all of this has been that no matter how much we may love Pip and feel his loss, God loved him more. And we can be confident that he was not alone, he was not afraid, he was not in pain because the Spirit of God was with him and in him. And now he has returned to his Heavenly Father and there will come a day when we are reunited with him. And we will know him because we know our own, just as God knows us. Through this time, what I have struggled with the most is the good that is to come out of this. And I know for Sarah it was a great encouragement when some weeks ago Mark, not this Mark, um, spoke to us about the support we would be to others in similar situations. But for me, it just didn't feel like it was enough. 
I know it might sound selfish, but what I wanted was for us to have our baby and the rest of the world to go on without us. And while it may have only been a few weeks, I had a taste of fatherhood, and I was changed by it. The world seemed like a, different, a very different place, and I felt like a very different person. And I didn't want to go back to how things were before. The thing is, I realize that God wants more for me than I want for myself. And when I think of the kind of home and the kind of family I want to have, I realize that I don't want to live in a little bubble. I want to be surrounded by people. I want to be affected by their lives, and I want them to be affected by mine. And you know, know what? The best legacy that I think we can create for the child we've lost is ourselves and the way we live and the kind of home that we make. And I was so struck by what it says in Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourselves from your own flesh? Then the light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call And the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What would it mean to us if people thought of our house like that? Ever since we started the process of moving into our new home, the words on my lips, the thrust of my prayers has been that it would be a refuge, not just for us, but for the people in this community, our friends and family, that it would be a place where people would encounter God, a place where we would share the comfort of the Holy Spirit just as we have received it. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, only a few verses before, had cured a man of blindness. Something that John said had never happened before. The man who isn't named in the passage was taken to the Pharisees by his neighbors where he starts to face accusations, and not just him. They start to make false claims about Jesus. But this man, he doesn't change his story. 
he continues to declare that he was blind and Jesus returned his sight. And for that, the man was cast out. Something so easy to miss. But in verse 46 of chapter 9, you read that Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And Jesus went to find him and found him. It's easy to read the Bible and the gospel and think that the people that Jesus met, he met by coincidence. He was just walking down the road and he saw them. But I think there isn't a single person that Jesus met that he didn't intend to meet. There isn't a single person that Jesus met that he didn't seek out and find. Jesus is called the Lamb of God because he was the Lamb without blemish, without sin, that was sacrificed once and for all for our sake. Jesus is called the Good Shepherd because he finds us when we're lost. He's laid down his life for us so that we can make God our dwelling place. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, encumbered with a load of care? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. I didn't ask, answer the question, if God is so good, if he is so loving, if he is so powerful, if he can do anything, why doesn't he do something about the suffering in the world? In his letter, Peter answers, Jesus was made known before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Amen.